Hey guys, welcome to episode number 26. I don't know the title yet, but it's all going to be about dealing with failure, feelings of defeat and kind of separate to that being resilient. So it's going to be a mix of all those things because I get so many people asking me, um, how do you pick yourself back up after you failed at something or, you know, how do you feel better about yourself when you feel like such a failure? So I'm going to be talking about that. If you listened to the podcast last week with my sister, Stephanie, we did touch on a couple of those things and there were so many questions that continued to come through that we weren't able to address. And I think it'd be really cool to do an entire episode just about feelings of failure and picking yourself up from that. Cool. So before we get into all of that, just a quick wrap up of my week. If you guys do follow me on Instagram, then you would have already heard this, but I can finally announce um, the thing that I've been wanting to announce to you guys that I keep talking about because I'm always saying, oh, I'm working on a project. I can't announce it yet. So basically I have a book deal, which is literally a dream come true for me. I think I've spoken about this for a couple of years now that I want to write a book. And then I was approached by a publishing house called Affirm Press. There's this awesome publishing house from Melbourne. They publish some really, really cool authors and just some awesome books there. So they reached out to me basically to write a book that's a similar concept of what my podcast is. So it's really, really exciting. Uh, The book will be out around April next year. So you guys will be able to read it then. Um, Yes, I'm already halfway through this book. And it's really funny because I remember saying at the start of the year, I was writing down things that I would want to get done in the next couple of years. And one of those things, once I finish uni, I'm going to you know, go to France for a few months and write a book. That's what I wanted to do. And then it's like, you know, when it rains, it pours. The podcast started picking up. Uni started getting hectic. And then I got approached by a firm press to write this book. And it's obviously something I absolutely was not going to turn down. It definitely happened a lot earlier than I had put in my plan. But that's what I talk about. And I talk about this in Mindset Hacks a lot. You kind of don't make your journey too specific. You kind of got to know what you want and really work towards it, but you don't want to be shutting off different avenues and different possibilities of ways of going about getting what you want to get. So here is a prime example where I am not too set in stone of exactly when the book had to be done. And obviously it came a lot earlier than I thought. So anyway, that's fucking exciting for me. I cannot wait for you guys to read it. And I am loving the actual experience of writing the book. Okay, now another thing is that I was talking to my sister Stephanie um, about the podcast that we did last week and we remembered like so many more stories to add and my sister was like, oh, I've got a really good story that I wanted to say on the podcast but I just didn't say it because I didn't want to embarrass you and I was like, why? (laughs) I was like, what story is it? And I just thought I'd have to tell you guys this story because it's so fucked up and we sound like kids are fucked. So, There was this one time, again, back to the sugar binging that we would go on and buy like lollies behind our parents' back. And there was one point where we bought all these redskins. I don't know why we bought so many, but we bought all these redskins and we were sitting in the backyard and we just, we couldn't finish them. We were starting to get sick with how much sugar we had been eating. And like our dad was going to get home at a certain time. So we ran outside to the backyard and we had, this is fucked and we sound like junkies. We had a bucket next to us and we were eating the red skins and then spitting our saliva into the bucket because like it was so sweet that it was it was hurting our mouths so we were like oh no this really like our tongues were 
this is fucked. Like if you think about it, no wonder she didn't want to tell me this story or tell the story on the podcast. Anyway, so we're spitting out the fucking residue of redskins into this bucket. That's really messed up. So yeah, that's the kind of shit that we would do as kids. So I thought I'd just, you know, add that one there for you guys. Good times. Now I sound like even more of a psycho. Good news is I don't do that anymore. Oh, no, I don't do that anymore. Not to that extent. Definitely not to that extent. I've had my moments, but it's normally around like Christmas or something. But no, I can't say I've spat redskins into a bucket for since I was a child. Thank God for that. Okay, now one thing I want to quickly talk about is a question that I've been asked a lot on the Facebook group, but also I've been asked this in DMs a lot. And I thought I'd just answer it because, yeah, I just get asked this question a lot. But the question is, do I believe that everything happens for a reason? And my answer is absolutely not. Like I get people saying it all the time. Oh, yeah, everything happens for a reason. It all happens for a reason. I don't think that at all. I genuinely do not believe that everything happens for a reason. Um, I don't think that something would purposely happen for some abstract outcome to occur down the track. So, for example, when I was saying like, oh, I was supposed to move to New York and I was going to postpone my uh, master's degree um, but then COVID happened and they shut the borders. So now I guess the silver lining is that I can finish my degree earlier. And people are like, yep, see, everything happens for a reason. It's like, no, I really don't think that a global pandemic happened so I could finish my degree. So that didn't happen for this reason of an outcome. I think that you can see a silver lining in everything. And I do believe that you can make everything a teachable moment in your life. But I just don't think that you, or me personally, I don't look at something bad saying, oh, that happened so something else could happen. I don't look at that. If something bad happens, to me, I look at that. That's an independent thing that's occurred on its own. I don't think you need something bad for something good. But I look at it as, all right, that's happened. But what can I now learn from this? You know, because you can go any direction from that. And I think that that's a conscious decision that you can make. I feel that if I was to say to myself, oh, everything happens for a reason. So if this happens, then I'm kind of at the mercy of fate. And I don't believe that. I don't believe that my life is planned out for me. I believe that I plan my own life. I don't believe that, you know, things are set out and you're just like meandering around aimlessly in life. I've got no problem with people thinking that about their own lives. You do you. But I personally, that is the absolute, the furthest from what I believe. I believe that when shit happens, it's up to you to unpack it. And if you do, then you're going to find some gems that other people might not find. You're going to find some, you know, something that you can learn from it. But if you choose to wallow and stay in that, you know, path of pain and suffering, then you might not learn those lessons. So you can choose how impactful something is going to be and you can choose if you're going to learn a lesson from something or not. You can choose to repeat that behavior or not or engage with the same kind of person in your life or not. So one thing I do believe is that we attract the same lessons or better yet, we subconsciously seek out the same lessons until we learn them. If we don't learn from that lesson, we find ourselves in that situation again and again and again. That's something I'd hands down believe in. And I think it's just, you know, a pattern that we all find ourselves in. I found myself in that pattern all the time and I see it in other people so often, especially when it comes to dating and the particular kinds of people that we date. If we don't learn a lesson and we don't learn how to 
teach other people how to treat us, we keep getting sucked into shitty toxic relationships because we can't put our foot down and say, I'm not going to be treated sub this standard. So that's a prime example of us you know, subconsciously seeking out the same lessons again and again and again until we learn them. Okay, let's get straight into the topic of the podcast. So this podcast is going to cover, yes, failure, but also how to be more resilient. And what is failure? What are you going to perceive failure to be? So you can apply what I talk about in this podcast to several different things and several different kinds of failure. So for example, not winning, not getting the job that you wanted, not landing an audition for something, um, always getting close but never quite breaking through or not succeeding in relationships and having like a string of failed relationships or always being that person that gets dumped. Um, and then lastly, uh, failure to launch altogether. I'm going to be breaking this down into five chunks um, or five points about it. So number one, It's change your definition of what failure is. So out of all those different kinds of quote-unquote failures that I just spoke about, the only one that I would consider to be actual failure is the last one, and that's failure to launch. Failure to try something, failure to put yourself out there even a tiny bit and give something a go. Because the way I look at something being a failure is – Is it something that you can regret? That's how I look at failure. And often, the only thing that for me I can regret is not having done something, not having tried something. I can't regret coming second in a race. That wasn't in my control. I can't regret not landing an audition. I did my best. I can't regret someone dumping me. That wasn't my actions, you know. So that's a really good test for you to decide if you can deem it as a failure or not. Can you regret something or not? Because that might not be in your control at all, you know? So if you stand here and say, oh, I regret that I didn't get that job, that sounds pretty ridiculous, doesn't it? It makes you sound like you're really mean to yourself or really impatient with yourself when you look at it that way because anyone can see that that was not in your control. That was something that someone else had the say in. And also, can you regret something that at the time, with the knowledge that you had, seemed like a good idea, even if it didn't end up working out in the future, without using hindsight, can you regret it? Not really, because that would mean that you had a crystal ball to look into the future and you could see that eventually that would have been a bad idea, but you still went and did it anyway. So that's not something you can regret. So if you're trying to launch a business and you're working on things that you've never done before and they don't quite work out, so you have to try different avenues Again, would you regret that? No, because you didn't know any better. These are all learning you know, moments for you because you did not have the tools. You didn't know any better. So you can't regret all these mini missteps or mistakes that you make along the way to try to achieve your goal. That's not really a regrettable thing to do because sometimes you have to do these things to get to where you want to go. Um, or if you – here's another one. If you lost all the passion – towards something that you used to love and you realize that it no longer serves you, it no longer makes you happy, you've outgrown this particular thing in your life, so you've made a conscious decision to let go of that, would you regret that? Would you consider that as a failure? No, because you've made a conscious decision and you understand that it doesn't serve you and it doesn't serve your life anymore. So if you could turn it around and make it that you only consider failure – as something that you regret, 
then you're going to see that you have failed a lot less times than you've told yourself in the past. Because failure, quote unquote, can be repackaged as something else. And we're going to go into that, you know, as this podcast goes on in the next four steps. So that's what I want you to start thinking about. Do a bit of a list in your head, a bit of an inventory and figure out for yourself. I failed here. I, I, well, I say to myself, oh, I didn't get that. I didn't do that. That was a, th- I failed. And then reword it saying, is, is that something I regret? And if it's not something you regret, then it means that it served you in some way, shape or form. And we'll talk about that later, how it did serve you. And so then that's not really a failure. Now, the next one is number two, ask yourself, would I be less valuable if I didn't have this? Often we consider ourselves to have failed at something because we think that what we're trying to achieve will make us a better person. We think that if we had that job or if we had that money or if we had that title or if we won that race or were dating that person, people would perceive us better. They would perceive us differently. They would treat us differently. We would be more valuable in someone else's eyes if we had that. So then if we don't get that because we put so much pressure on on ourselves to get that because we think that people will like us more, value us more, then if we don't get it, then we feel that we've failed because we then don't perceive ourselves as valuable as we could have been. So that's what I want you to ask you. Would I be less valuable if I didn't have this? So you've got to get deep. You've got to identify if you're seeking validation by having this win or by or achievement or by having that person. Because a lot of the time when you put your validation on all these external things that you have absolutely no power over ultimately, then that's where you're going to feel like, for lack of a better word, you're going to feel like a failure because you are telling yourself that you have power over something you don't have power and that is, you know, your validation. That's something you can give yourself. You can give yourself validation but if you put it in the hands of all these other people, then you actually don't have control over that. So you could be the best person ever. You could work so hard on being yourself but if the only way of being validated is from an external source, then you could feel like a failure every single day if those external sources are not making you feel validated. Now think, if I won this, if I got these things, does having this thing, let's say it's a job, does having this thing change how you see yourself and how you define yourself? Because if it does, if you think, no, no, but if I got that job, then I'd love myself. Then people could love me. Then I would be this amazing person that people want to hang around with. If you feel that way, I can assure you that it will be short-lived. You will get that job, you will feel that way for a very short period of time and your mind will swiftly find something else about yourself to make you feel those fucking warm, fuzzy feelings of inadequacy again. If you're attaching your self-importance to that one external goal, you'll feel happy for a little bit and then you're just going to spiral back down, I can guarantee you. Because if you fall for that pattern of I'm not enough but this will make me enough, and then you get it, you feel temporary happiness. The reason this doesn't last is that your thoughts about yourself and why you are inadequate are just now covered up by a band-aid of distraction by this win. So this win has distracted you from how shit you feel about yourself. But once that honeymoon period of having that win fades, that original deep-seated you know, thoughts of 
inadequacy continued to reside in your mind. That's never left. You've just covered it with this exciting icing of I just got this job or I just started dating this really cool person or I, 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 I just started doing all this shit. If you don't address these feelings now before you get those things, then those feelings are always going to be there to haunt you at your weakest times. So bring them out, out to the light now. Bring them out before you're winning, before you're getting all these things that you want to be getting. You've got to address them now because the sad thing would be that you think that those things are going to make you happy, that if you don't fail, quote unquote, and if you succeed at getting those things, then ultimately you can love yourself, you can be happy. When you get them, it will feel even harder to realize that even once you've achieved all the external things that you can possibly achieve, you're then going to come to the very harsh realization that those feelings that you feel now, you're going to feel them then. Because you can't be attaching your self-importance to winning something, to that outcome. Your self-importance has to reside with you at all times. If you do feel this way, you need to start to ask yourself, why am I feeling this way? You know, because while it's nice to have all these achievements and while it's nice to, you know, be on top and be the winner and be the best at something – To the people that really matter in your life, no one ultimately gives a fuck if you have these achievements or not because it's not about the actual achievement within itself. Yes, it's cool to have the wins. Yes, it's cool to have people congratulate you and if you reach the the heights and, you know, get to the top of your mountain, you're going to get all these accolades. You're going to get all this love from people. But none of that matters If at the end of the day, you can't sit with yourself when the lights go out. The win isn't everything. Why do you think people love the underdog so much? It's because everything is about the journey. You could lose at everything you do and still be the most loved because of how you carry yourself throughout your journey. Everyone fucking loves the underdog because it's not all about the win. People respect and love and they can um, connect with you so much more if it's about the journey. And don't get me wrong, you can have an amazing journey and win, fantastic, but you can have an amazing journey and then come second or 10th or whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, there's that fucking, in the Sydney Olympics, I think I might have spoken about this on my podcast. Anyway, if I haven't already, fucking Google this. In the Sydney Olympics in 2000, there was this guy, I think they called him Eric the Eel, and he was from Equatorial Guinea, and he was a swimmer. But he had never been in a 50-meter pool in his life, like ever. And he, the first time he ever did compete in a 50-meter in a pool was at the Sydney Olympics in his heat. Now, there was all these complications in his heat. I think it was like a few false starts or whatever that it was just him racing against the clock. So he was the only person in his heat racing against the clock and it was in a packed stadium at the time. So the, the gun goes off, the dude jumps in the pool and he starts swimming and it was really clear really quickly that this dude was not a good swimmer. So on top of the fact that he had never been in a 50-meter pool, I don't think he could even swim 50 meters in total. He was literally struggling. His whole body was sinking. Just his head was out of the water. But the guy didn't think, oh, fuck it. I've already, like, I'm not, because the clock, he's got to hit a certain time. So even if he's the only one in the race, the dude has to, had to hit a certain time to make it to the next heat. The dude by far had not even hit that time. He still had another, like, you know, I don't know, 20 meters to go. 
and he was struggling and struggling and struggling to get to the end of the pool. But the stadium, the arena, whatever you call it, everyone was off their seats. They are screaming. It was about as loud as a gold medal event, like as a final. It was insane because people respect you when they see you fight for something. They see your journey. They love the underdog. They knew he was never going to win. They knew that he'd get out of that pool and that would be it. He's not going to compete in any other race for the rest of the Olympics. That was his one race. But they backed him and they loved him because the guy put him he put himself out there, put himself out on a limb, finally got to the end of the pool, didn't give up, and everyone fucking loved him. Do you think one person there was being like, oh, no, he's a failure though because, you know, he didn't hit that time. He's not going to make it through. No one thought that. Everybody loves an underdog when you give it your all. If you give it your all and people see that, the end result almost is irrelevant. It's almost irrelevant. That's how much the journey and how you carry yourself matters when it comes to these things. So if you think that not getting what you wanted to get equals failure, then reconsider what failure is because there's a huge, 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 huge difference there. To me, failure is what I spoke about in the first bit, that idea of failure to launch. If you don't try, if you don't put yourself out there, this guy, vulnerable as fuck, putting himself out there, not only to this stadium, but on the screens of the entire world, you know, to be struggling, almost drowning in a pool in an Olympic event. You know, it's an amazing thing where people will back you when they see you be truly authentic and truly put yourself out there. And this doesn't mean that you should not want to win. You can still have this laser focus thing of like, I want to win. I want to be the best. I want to win. But make sure that your self-importance isn't on that win. And make sure that you carry yourself with your focus on the journey as well and on you know, every part of that journey to get there. So I'm not saying that it's wrong to say, I want to be the best. I want to win. I'm only, you know, aiming for this. I think everyone should aim for number one because then if you fall like short of that, fine. But if you aim for 10, you're probably not going to get higher than 10, you know, like, so I just think that while it's awesome to aim for the best, you have to understand where you're placing your self-worth and your self-importance. Is it on only if you achieve that or do you carry that throughout your entire journey? And if you achieve it, then that's fucking fantastic. You you got what you set out to get. And if you don't achieve it, then you learn another lesson along the way. And that's still awesome. Okay. Number three is understand your why for doing it. So this is something that Stephanie and I spoke about in the last podcast. And she mentioned something about intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation and how that deeply affects you when you're faced with defeat. So Stephanie spoke about how when she was in cycling, it got to a point where her motivation was extrinsic, which is more like I have to get this time, I have to get that position, you know, first, second or third, I have to get this, I have to get that. And because her motivation was so focused on these external things, which ultimately she can't control because she can't control how well the other cyclist is going to perform. She can't control if something's going to go wrong in the race. There's a lot of things there that's not really in her control. But if she's motivated to that, you know, that time or that um, place in the race, then it got to a point where she was then only relieved if she was to hit that. So it's it took the joy out of the journey because she 
found that it was stress up until that point and then if she got it, relief. But then she's like, wait a minute, I'm no longer happy doing this. I have killed the joy in the sport that I used to absolutely love and her motivation completely changed from, you know, being something that she, you know, that was part of her life, part of her, you know, herself. She just loved cycling so much. She it was in, in, you know, it was weaved into every part of her life to then being, you know, one of her biggest sources of stress, um, you know, so it goes from healthy to unhealthy. Intrinsic motivation ends up being where you're only racing against yourself. You're trying to better yourself at all times. To the extent now that Steph will go to like a weightlifting championship and someone that she's competing against you know, is there doing the lift and Stephanie will be cheering as if she was that person's mother, even if it means that that person is going to beat Stephanie and knock her down from that position because her motivation no longer is about, I have to, you know, those people have to fail for me to succeed. She's already succeeded if she knows that she's, you know, worked herself to be a better version of her last lift or to or tried her best to be you know, to improve from her last lift or her last competition. And so her, what she now measures herself up against is mainly what she did last. And when she looks at what she can improve, she's looking at, you know, her last performance. She's not thinking, okay, fuck, I didn't perform great today, but if all these other people don't perform great, I still have a chance of winning. No, she just thinks, I got that lift this time. Let's see if I can get this lift this time. I'm trying to beat my time. Now this other girl's going to lift, could potentially beat me, but she could be going for a PB. So I'm going to fucking back her because if she gets that PB, that would be fucking exciting for her and I'm there for it. You know, there's a huge, huge difference. And then also look at how much more you enjoy it. You think that that's not going to be enjoyable, but in the end you create a community. You're there backing each other. Everyone's having a really good time and you are now intrinsically motivated your motivations comes from within yourself about yourself so look at different areas in your life look at you might not be in sport but look at work you know if someone else that you work alongside is performing really well you don't want to be in a situation where you're hoping that their next task doesn't go great so then you can you know perform better don't worry about what the other person is doing don't look don't focus too much on what they're doing what is it that you could be doing about your performance or how you work that could be an improvement or growing on what you did last time or what can you do to you know expand your knowledge or expand your skill set if it's at uni if it's you know a sport if it's how you interact with your friends this could be in any aspect of your life it could be in relationships you know what was it that you know fell apart in the last relationship? Was it that I was just dating a psycho and I was completely the victim? Possibly. Was it that I myself was a jealous psycho and now that's something that I can work on? And that's, you know, again, looking in on yourself and seeing if there's certain things that you can change about your behavior. So this is not just with sport and not just with career. It can be in relationships. It can be with hobbies. It can be with any area of your life. It's the idea of not having to put all your motivation on something external. If you bring it internal, then even when people around you are succeeding, you genuinely can celebrate their wins and not feel like a failure. That's the beauty of it. If you think that they have to lose in order for you to win, then you're someone that can never genuinely wholeheartedly celebrate someone else's win, especially if they are your competition. You know, it's an amazing feeling and you actually feel more self-love. You feel so good about yourself when you can get to that point where you can genuinely celebrate your competitor's win, 
It's actually an amazing feeling. I remember, you know, I would feel, you know, so competitive against like other actors going for something and then if someone else in my acting, you know, who in my same agency got a role that I really thought that I would be right for and didn't get, I would feel like, oh, she's my competition, she's this, she's that and yes, I'd congratulate her but deep down I'd be jealous and deep down I'd be, you know, that was not a good place to be in and it made me harbour so much resentment towards the role of acting myself and that was so wrong and that's probably why I wasn't enjoying it by the end when I could have enjoyed it but I wasn't because of the headspace that I was in. To me, I was always looking as like I'm competing, I'm competing against these people when in reality nothing outside of myself was anything I I had control over. So whether I was going to harbour all these feelings of competition or not, the outcome would have been the same. Number four, transform defeat into something useful. So instead of looking at defeat as failure, you're going to transform that into something useful. Because defeat can go from being so flat and unmotivated to a new opening, like a whole new fresh way of looking at life. So I want you to start to redefine the meaning of defeat. I'm going to give you like a really random example. When I was going through my first real heartbreak, you know, that big one that I've, you know, referred back to many times, I had this really amazing thing happen to me and it was only like a day or two after the breakup when I was in the depths of my despair, crying the whole time, didn't want to eat, I was a fucking mess, I just did not see how I could ever live my life without loving that person and I had this moment in me and it was almost like a, it was fucking weird, it was like an almost out of body experience and I imagined all the possibilities that now stood in front of me if I no longer was in that relationship. And it was, trust me, it was very fucking short-lived because I wallowed for about a year about that breakup. But there was that moment, it was like this lucid moment that I had where I had all these possibilities come to me and I got really excited for a moment being like, whoa, I might not be with him, but this means that I could travel the world. This means that I could move cities. This means that I could, I could, I could, I could, I could. And it was all these possibilities, possibilities, possibilities. Had I nurtured that moment, had I put more attention down on that moment and realized what thought patterns are occurring here that are making me feel good right now and poured more energy and more time into that moment of mine that I had, I think that the pain of my breakup would have lasted so much less. But I then straight after that would continue to choose to suffer. So there's a saying by the Dalai Lama and he says, pain is inevitable but suffering is optional. And that is what I was doing. So the pain of the heartbreak that I went through, that was inevitable. Of course I was going to feel the pain. But I noticed that I would allow myself to spiral and allow myself to suffer more than necessary. And this is a prime example because when I did have moments like that of like, whoa, I'm having this like crazy moment that's come out of nowhere where I could imagine what the other possibilities are. Instead of looking at this breakup as defeat, as I'm fucked, I'll never find a lover again. I'll never find someone that I'll love that much again. You know, everyone else will be subpar. It's never going to be the same. I'm fucked. Now I've got to have my walls up. I had the opportunity to look at it as, wow, there's a whole world that you could have if you're not in this relationship. Because without going into details, there were many things that I wasn't able to do in that relationship if I wanted to do them with him for many reasons, which I don't even need to go into. But the way our relationship was set up, 
it was, you know, kind of locked into a certain way, the kind of person that he was and with his personality and with my personality, there were certain things that was just like not a possibility. So for me, when the relationship ended, there were moments where I saw all these possibilities reopen for me. But instead of focusing on that, I then quickly would switch back to the heartbreak. I would divert my own emotions back to suffering and then I would wallow and then I would listen to a sad song and then I would just tell myself how tragic it really is and then and then and then and then and then. So that's where that idea of um, suffering is optional really rings true to me because I can really resonate with that. Sometimes pain is going to hit you and you just have to sit with it but how many times are you then choosing to spiral And it is many times it's a choice. If you feel like it's not a choice, that's when pain is inevitable. That's when it's something that you just have to sit with and you can't avoid. But there are going to be times where you then notice yourself spiral and you notice yourself continually, continuously bringing yourself back to that painful moment. So there's two things. One is inevitable pain and one is choosing to suffer. And you will start to identify the difference. Now that you're aware of that, you're going to start to see the differences between the two. It's not saying that you shouldn't be sad and it's not saying that you can't grieve and that you can't be sad. Those things are going to occur um, organically within you. And when that does occur organically within you, then you know that's just inevitable pain and you sit with that. But how many fucking times do you listen to a sad song when you're sad? That is suffering and that is a choice. Now, most times in your life, maybe not always, but I would say most times in your life, every time something has gone wrong, something good has come from it. It's like saying it's a blessing in disguise or the silver lining through the cloud. But what is this sadness? What is this failure disguising right now. So every time something happens to you where you feel like you are quote unquote a failure, I want you to look at it as what is this failure disguising right now? What is there to uncover here? How can I unpack this? How can I unravel what's underneath it that I can gain something from? What can I learn? What can I, you know, experience from this? So it's the ability to look internally And, you know, like I said, unpack whatever it was that just happened and pick apart what you can take from that. Often it's a lesson. Often it's somewhere that you can improve on. Often you'll realize that, you know, you might have been in a situation where you had allowed yourself to just be okay with that being your standard. And then when that fell apart, whether it be a relationship or a job, and then you feel so helpless and so heartbroken, if you were to unravel that being like, But is this, was that me settling and now I have the opportunity to not settle? You know, was that me accepting something that was not something that I truly wanted for myself, but it was good enough so I just chose to make it my new standard. But in reality, there is now the possibility for me to try something different in my life. I thought I wanted that, but what if... I could want something more or something else or something completely new and different and exciting. That's what I mean. And that's especially rings true with getting fired or with a breakup or even a friendship breakup. The, like the door of opportunities that opens up when someone breaks up with you is actually massive, massive as far as what you can do, who else you can meet, the new relationships that come into your life. You know, you don't have to see it immediately, but you've just got to be aware that that is just around the corner. 
It is just around the corner. I don't believe that you have one soulmate in your life. That is the dumbest shit I've ever heard in my life. I believe that you can connect with many people in your life. You might find that one person and then you then choose. You are my soulmate for my life that I'm choosing to make you my soulmate. But the idea that there's only one person for you in this whole world out of 8 billion people, it's a load of shit. Okay, number five, know how to take responsibility for moving forward even if you are not at fault. So you need to understand where your power comes from by taking responsibility for what happens next. Because if you look at something as, oh, I failed, then that could be, you could feel so defeated and you're then putting the blame on the situation or you're blaming yourself, blame, 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 whether it's to yourself, to a situation or to another person is a waste of time. It's a waste of time. So if you can take responsibility and stop blaming something, someone or yourself for this quote unquote failure, then everything can change. So you might not be responsible for what happened to you or for something going wrong or for what someone did to you, but you can still take ownership. To take ownership does not mean to say that you did it. It does not mean to say that you are at fault. It means that you are going to own what it is, accept it, and then do something about it. You can't move forward until you have accepted what is. Because if you try to move forward without accepting it, you stay in a state of denial or in a state of like, yeah, but it was that person's fault. But I'll move forward. But it was, it was his fault. But I'll move forward. Oh, but like I should have won. That person cheated. But, you know, like that's just you, – you stay in that state. You'll be in a state of what could have been or what should have been. Now, remember, this has nothing to do with blame. Owning something – doesn't mean that you are at fault. It doesn't mean that you need to own it because you're to blame. To own something means to accept what it is. It's to accept what is because if you the issue is if you don't own it when someone else did something wrong to you, you can say, look, I'm going to own this as my life situation, whether I caused it or not, I will accept what is. Now that I can really unpack it, I can really see what it is, I now have the tools to move forward. The alternative is to sit there and say, I'm not accepting this. I'm not accepting this because it was unfair. What that person did to me was unfair. They cheated on me repeatedly. They broke my heart. They broke my ability to trust people. So I'm going to sit here and not accept that because it was not fair. What's the outcome for you? What is the outcome for you? You're sitting there like a fucking tragic, fucking weak, wet noodle because the other person that's quote unquote done this to you or was unfair or cheated or whatever, they've moved on with their life. And they might be toxic. They might be horrible. It doesn't matter. You know, if they're gone out of your life and now you're sitting here saying that was unfair, that was unacceptable, I will not accept this, that's a choice now. You're choosing not to accept it because it was not fair. But the problem with it is you don't have to accept it as in saying I'm a doormat, I'm just going to lie down and you can steamroll over me because I'm accepting it. You're not accepting it to happen again, but you are owning that this is now your life situation. I have been cheated on and I have been dumped. Now I own that this is where I stand right now. I'm aware of it. I can acknowledge it. This is what happened to break down. These are the red flags of that person. Now I'm going to build myself up with the knowledge that I have of what I just experienced. So that way I'm now stronger and more resilient in the future. That's what I mean about owning a situation. Nothing to do with blame, nothing to do with laying the blame on yourself or on someone else. 
The moment you do that, you are then responsible for your future. If you don't do that, then you place your, the, the, your future in the hands of the next person that hopefully won't fuck you over, but may. If you're one of those people that you, you place your happiness and your success in a relationship, then you'll be wallowing until the next poor motherfucker comes around and then you put all the ownership on them to make you happy. You know, that poor, poor fucker is walking into an ambush because you're never going to be happy because you're never going to accept what's happened to you and not use it as baggage and not have your walls up and not, you know, bring in toxic traits from your next relationship into the new one. Or if, let's say this is, if you're competing in a sport, if you're always going to be in a situation where like this happened to me, that person cheated, that was unfair judging, that was, that was, that was, then what's going to happen when you win? Are you going to accept the win? Or are you going to blame the win on like, oh, that the, it was unfair and it was biased towards me? Or, oh, no, I just won out of a fluke. Or, oh, because if you're going to be so negative when you lose, you better be negative when you win. You have to have a fucking standard across the board and own your shit. If you're going to be blaming people left, right and center when you lose, I hope you're a skeptical when you win. So you see how pathetic your language is. So start taking ownership for your shit. So that way, when you win, it's a real win and you can own the win. Just like when you lose, it's a real lose and you can own the lose. And that's it. You know, people respect that shit so much. People love it when you can just be accountable, when you can own what's happening in your life, when you can own the fact that someone just was better than you that day. And then you can pick yourself up, learn from yourself, maybe learn from how that person succeeded and then move forward. But this idea of always laying the blame on other people or on like small, you know, external factors, that's not going to help you because then you learn nothing when you lose and you learn nothing when you win. So when you look at all these things of like what you consider failure to be, if you changed what you saw failure as like the last five points that I spoke about and you, you then become more resilient. If you're able to look at these five points and make those changes – that's where your resilience comes from. And if you're able to interact with people that you compete against, then you're going to be a better competitor in the sense of, you know, you're going to strive in a different way. You're more competing against yourself, but you support the people that you're competing with. And if you flip it around to what's going on in your brain when all this is happening, is that you're no longer functioning from a fear, competitive, you know, anxious um, pathways, you know, because the idea of like anxiety, it's the gap between where you are and where you feel that you should be. And it's that gap that you're suffering in. But if you're looking at intrinsic motivation, if you're turning things around and you're there being a support network to the people you're competing against, you switch out of that fear-based um those fear pathways, the anxiety and fear pathways, which run on the same pathway. Fear and anxiety is pretty much the same thing as far as the, you know, um, pathology of the brain is concerned. So if you flip out of that and you go more into a supportive, you know, pattern and only looking at yourself as the person to compete against, ultimately, as far as intrinsic motivation that I was talking about, then you're going to switch that fear pattern off because you're not looking at things that you can't control. That's what anxiety ultimately comes down to. It's really shit that you can't control, but trying to control it and then realizing that you can't. So you feel so out of control that you have this anxiety and anxiety is basically, you know, fear is acute 
it's like I know exactly what I'm scared of, I need to run away and anxiety is generalized. It's like I can't quite exactly put my finger on it but I'm feeling this thing and same with social anxiety, like I'm feeling that I can't be in this social situation but I can't exactly put my finger on it. So it's this like false fabricated kind of fear that goes on in your brain and that's what's happening when you're always pitting yourself against other people and thinking that you should be here and thinking that you should be there where if you were to change it to be intrinsically motivated and just focusing on your own shit, being accountable and working on picking yourself back up and doing something slightly different or learning the lessons that you need to be learning, then you're not going to be in those fear-based pathways because you're not looking at things that are out of your control. You're just looking at what's in your control. You don't look at failure as, you know, uh, like a blow to your ego or a blow to who you are as a person or your importance or you don't look at it as I'm no longer validated as a person because you realize that you have your own back. If you can change things to be about being intrinsically motivated and being accountable, then you're not going to look at things as a failure anymore. You're able to connect better with people, you're going to release more dopamine, you're going to release more oxytocin, which is a bonding chemical. And when you have more release of dopamine, more oxytocin, more serotonin, these are these feel-good neurotransmitters. And when you have more of these feel-good neurotransmitters, you're in a more problem-solving action state. You open up, you relax, you're more social, you're more um, able to, like you're calmer and you're more able to take on action. When you're fear, that's fight or flight. You are like freaking the fuck out. You're shut off to new possibilities. You're shut off to new connections and you're less likely to improve in that moment. This is just your body goes into protective mode. So you're not able to improve, to increase, to whatever. So it actually ends up being, it sounds counterintuitive, but it actually ends up being super um, beneficial for your ability to grow as a human being if you start supporting the people around you, if you start connecting with your major competitors. Everything changes for you if you start doing that from a neurological, biological standpoint as well as emotional. So just to wrap up this podcast, guys, in conclusion, you just always understand that there is a difference between something not working out and a difference between letting yourself down. So I would only ever consider failure as when I've let myself down in the sense of I really wanted to do that but I never really did it because I just didn't you know, have the drive to push myself. Remember what I spoke about that man in the swimming pool. Have that support for yourself. Try and have your back for yourself. Remember, it doesn't matter if you don't win. It's about trying. When you put yourself out there and when you really give it a red hot go, people love that. So why not try that for yourself? If you were to put yourself out there and you were to give it a really red hot go, you would hopefully respect yourself. Look at yourself as if you were that man in the pool or as if you're someone else really trying for something and you're really gunning for them to succeed because you've seen them really just go out on a limb. And if you listen to my podcast two episodes ago about group A people and group B people, then you only want to be surrounding yourself with those group A people anyway. So if you did cop criticism in all this shit that I'm talking about, if you did cop criticism from group B people, it doesn't matter because they're not your people and they're not the people that you're associating yourself with from now onwards. You've moved past that. You've outgrown that entire population of people that wallow in that. So if you haven't listened to that episode, episode 24, listen to it. I think it's in the first 20 minutes of the episode or the first 15 Group A people, group B people. You're only ever going to be a group A person anyway if you're doing all this stuff. 
So if you can have your own back the way you would support an underdog, if you could support yourself the way you would support an underdog, then you would rarely ever consider yourself to have ever failed because you wouldn't even not take action on something. You would be able to take more action on things. So that is all. That is the podcast for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, Again, as always, thank you so much for your support. Please continue to share. Please continue to rate and review uh, because that helps the podcast a lot. And thank you for your beautiful messages. I love you all. And stay active on the Facebook group. That group is a fucking vibe. And that is all. Au revoir. Be kind to yourselves. Be kind to your brain. And don't take shit from anybody. Bye. Don't care.